Hello, welcome to the Greenspeak Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Enroth. I'm a horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension in Macomb, Illinois. And today I am joined by uh, Ken Johnson. Ken's a colleague of mine uh, based down in Jacksonville. So welcome to the show, Ken. Thanks for having me. Uh, so Ken, you know, we like to start our shows. We want to talk a little bit about you, uh, you know, yourself and kind of how you found yourself in the role of a horticulture educator. So uh, if you don't mind taking us down memory lane and, and telling us, you know, how did, how did you wind up in a job uh, as a horticulture educator at the extension? What, what's the passion there? What draw, draws you to it? Uh, well, growing up, you know, we always had gardens uh, and stuff, vegetable gardens, um, primarily. Um, going to college, um, I majored as undergrad in biology. Um, I took an entomology class, um, doing my undergrad and kind of got reinterested in entomology. You know, I had a book collection as a kid, but you know, as you get older, sometimes you kind of grow out of that. But that class kind of sparked my interest again. Um, after I graduated, I did an internship at Disney World um, at the land greenhouses, uh, doing entomology. So I re reared beneficial insects to release in the greenhouses. Um, did scouting and IPM in the greenhouses. So that kind of started me da uh, down that path of kind of more ag-related um, um, entomology and stuff like that. Went to grad school, University of Florida. Um, you know, did a lot of insect and disease and um, weed stuff with my degree. So, um, you know, just kind of further fed the beast, so to speak. So. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, so have you ever judged at a 4-H fair the entomology section? Have uh, you, yes. Have you done I that did. before? So I, I have too. Year. Yes, I, I've done that too. And I've noticed I've done also the horticulture and like floriculture. And then they put me in entomology as a judge for that. And I've noticed the kids that do the entomology, they have this like they have this weird passion for it. You know, the kids with the floriculture or horticulture, like, yeah, this is a flower. You know, here's some vegetables. The kids with the entomology, they want to tell you about every single insect that they have collected. And it's, um, they, I, I'll be perfectly honest, they know more about the insects than I do. And so I'm just kind of like, whoa, this is a really good project and you're very passionate about it. So is that kind of you? Like, is, is, that, is that who I'm seeing within you? Yeah, I guess a little bit. I guess all of us insect people are a little weird, I guess. I was, <laughs> weird, but... As an undergrad taking that entomology class, I'd carry my net around campus. So people would give me <laughs> a hard time and stuff. So. I think that's really interesting, though. I, I don't think you're, you're – yeah, it's not a rare thing uh, in the entomology world. I think all entomologists, they have this, like, exuberance for insects. Um, so, so yeah, totally to – I think it's really cool, actually, to see. Um, but anyway – one of the primary reasons why you're here talking with us today, you know, you are, when I get an insect question, you're the person I go to uh, with that insect question because I, I don't know enough about them. And, and so this year we had one heck of a year with Japanese beetles. Um, and so this show, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Japanese beetles. Um, Ken, you're going to give us the lowdown, you know, what we can do uh, to help us uh, get these these insects, beetles, in um, a little bit more control than, than it has. But if we start from the beginning here, let's just get some background on Japanese beetles. Um, first off, like, where where do they come from? As, as the name implies, because we can get real creative creating names, they are from native to Japan, um, kind of the main islands of the Japanese archipelago. 
Um, and they're not really a big problem there. Um, you know, they have the natural enemies. You know, the plants have evolved with them, so they're not, you know, all that damaging there. Uh, I think the first reports in the U.S. are around 1916, 17, something like that in New Jersey. Um, they started seeing them there, and they just kind of slowly uh, progressed um, across the country since then. Like they're first found in the Chicago, first found in Chicago and St. Louis in the 1930s, and they're kind of confined to those areas until the 90s. And for some reason, you know, they just started spreading throughout Illinois. Nobody really knows why. Um, but it wasn't really until the 1990s that we started seeing them kind of widespread in Illinois. Yeah, that that whole thing, when I tell folks, yeah, they've been here for over 100 years. And, you know, people really start scratching their head, like, well, why are we just now seeing them? And, you know, it's just like what you said, I don't know. Um, the best best kind of hypothesis I can give is, um, you know, our transportation patterns, our land use. Um, I don't, th those things have changed. And so maybe with those changing items that that might lead to just a, an easier world for an invasive species to, to come into but yeah it's it's pretty wild to think that they've been here for now what like a hundred years and where there's some parts of the midwest that are just starting to deal with them and i grew up kind of in the the far western suburbs of chicago and i don't remember really ever seeing them as a kid so yeah. it wasn't until i came back to illinois that i really started hearing about them yeah exactly and and so they're an invasive species, but what's the big problem with them? Um, you know, what do they what do they do? What do they consume? So the adults they're going to feed on um, leaves, on a lot of trees, shrubs, bushes. I think there's over 300 different species of plants they'll feed on. So, you know, if you've got any kind of landscaping in your yard, there's a good chance there's something they're going to feed on. Um, if you've got stuff like lindens or roses, they really seem to like those. And you know, especially with lindens here in Jacksonville, you can drive around. You know, when Japanese beetles start coming out, you can pretty much tell where the lindens are right away because those are the ones that start. Exactly. You yes. Get all the feeding, the brown leaves, all of a sudden, you know, within a week or two of the Japanese beetles coming. Mm -hmm. out. And then the the grubs um, are going to be in the soil. They'll feed on turf roots, um, roots of other plants. So if you know, if you get enough of the white grubs in your turf. Um, you can start getting some turf damage uh, for them as well. Okay, so I, I get a lot of samples brought into the office, um, and everyone says, like, oh, this is a Japanese beetle, but a lot of them aren't. They're they're like a, a tiger beetle, or they could be like a green June bug. So what do these beetles look like? Like, what are we looking for out in the landscape? Yep, so, you know, despite all the, the damage they cause, you know, you hear these horror stories about them, they aren't. Terribly big insects, about half an inch long. Um, head and thorax, so those first two parts of the body, um, are going to be kind of your, your greenish color, uh, metallic green. Uh, their wing covers, that the back part, most of their body is going to be kind of a coppery color. Uh, and along the edge of their abdomen, they're going to have these kind of white tufts of hair. Um, and that kind of differentiates them from some of our, our other common, kind of commonly confused uh, beetles. Yeah, I, in my area, people are, are pretty much now fairly familiar with Japanese beetles, but as we mentioned before, they are, they're slowly spreading across the Midwest, and there are parts of Illinois where this might be the, the first real year where they've experienced a, a huge population boom of the Japanese beetles and really causing problems. So, Ken, have you seen them in your yard in Jacksonville? Uh, I had a few this year. I don't think I have very many plants that they like. Um, oh, you're lucky. 
Yeah, <laughs> and even even in this area, it seemed pretty patchy. Some areas, people were, you know, completely inundated. Where you go, you know, a mile or two away, and you barely see any. So they can be kind of patchy um, as far as where you find them too. And then again, yeah, if you don't have plants they don't like, you know, you're not going to have nearly as many. I don't have any roses. I don't have any linden trees, anything like that in my yard. So, but the worst I had it on was uh, sweet corn in the garden. Um, coming in and clipping the silks, but do they impact the pollination with that? Yep. So yeah, so they you know start clipping your silks before they get pollinated. You can get some poor um, kind of kernel set on your ears. Okay. So luckily, I got most of mine before. I had too many problems. I had a few ears here and there that were pretty um, spotty with their kernels, but so you can you... hold up them pretty quickly. You should be okay. Did you do anything in your yard like to control them? Um. So for my the stuff on the sweet corn, I sprayed them um, with Carbaryl 7. Mm -hmm. um, did that a couple of times. And did a, it was fun to walk out you know, a few hours later, and you've just got dead beetles everywhere. So it's kind of <laughs> a little bit satisfying getting your revenge on them. So do you think like the population is going to be growing more and more? Um, kind of similar to what we see with Emerald Ash Borer in our area. It's not confirmed yet for Macomb, but what I've seen in, in like Galesburg, Illinois, is the Emerald Ash Borer has started out very slow, kind of quiet, but now every ash tree is full of them. Uh, their population has just totally skyrocketed. Is that what we'll see with Japanese beetles? Because after a while, EAB will then kind of plummet. Their population will go down once the ash trees are gone. But Japanese beetles kind of eat everything, so is that is that going to happen, or are they just going to build up and up and up and kind of level out? Uh, they'll probably build up, and then eventually, like most things, their, their population will kind of level off as you know some of their natural enemies. There are some um, parasitoids, wasp and flies that'll um, attack them. There's you know nematodes in the soil um, that'll attack uh, the grubs and stuff. So eventually, you know, population I would think would start kind of leveling off. You may get you know, like anything else, your, your kind of peak years and your down years. Um, a lot of it will depend on the weather, too. If we've got, if we don't have a lot of rain in the fall, you know, when those eggs are hatching and the grubs are starting to feed, they don't have a lot of food. That'll kill a lot of them. We have a really cold winter, and the, the soils freeze um, really deep. Um, what was that, 2013 That's... when we had the polar vortex? Yes, yeah. You know, when our, our soils froze really deep, um, that can kill some. So a lot of the weather is going to play um, a big part too. You know, this past winter it was fairly mild. Um, we had a lot of, you know, plentiful rainfall, so we had pretty good conditions for for their development. So that could be another reason why we had we've had a lot more this year than we have, you know, last few years. Well, and the one question everyone always asks, um, they want to eliminate them from their yard, but that's they're never going to go away, right? I mean, we we have them; they're here to stay, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're never gonna, if you ever figure out a way to completely eliminate them, you will be a very rich person. Awesome. I, well, I don't, I don't see that happening. That, that sounds impossible. So yes, they're they're pretty tough uh, insects too. Or you know, in terms of any uh, other background, Ken, do you have anything else to tell us about the beetles? Because we have a smattering of questions that we'd like to ask you. These are questions that come into our extension office from homeowners and clients here um, in West Central Illinois, and. Uh, but if there's anything you want to add before we get into the questions, feel free. I guess one thing is, I guess probably an insect person thing, but your, you know, your white grubs, you've got several different species of those. Um, so if you find a, a grub in your, 
in your yard, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a Japanese beetle. Um, but you can actually kind of differentiate your different types of white grubs. Um, if you look at the uh, the rasters, which are the hairs kind of on their butt, <laughs> um, if you look at the pattern of those, you can actually figure out um, what the different species of grubs are. So most people think I'm crazy uh, when I tell them that, but, you know, there is a way to kind of figure out what type of white grub you have in your yard. Folks, if you want to, you know, specifically ID Japanese beetle uh, grubs, uh, check out their butts, their raster patterns, their hairs on their on their rear ends. So. Yep. <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, other methods of control, I think we might get to those uh, in some of our questions. So let's go ahead and, and dive into the first one here. So uh, first question is for Dave from McDonough County. He wants to know, his blackberries are covered with Japanese beetles. And now this is one blackberry question out of, I would say, like six that we got this year. Um, so his blackberries are covered with Japanese beetles. He would like to know if there is something he can use to control the beetles and keep the blackberries edible and not injure the bees. So what's your take on that one, Ken? Um, one easy way, um, and a lot of this is going to depend on if your blackberries are still blooming when you're having the Japanese beetle problems, um, is you can cover your plants, um, use some kind of you know, shade cloth that lets quite a bit of light in, uh, window screening, something like that, something that has holes that are that aren't big enough for the beetles to get in, you can cover your plants. Um, that way they can't get to it. Um, obviously, if they're blooming, um, you can't do that because you're going to exclude um, all of your bees. Um, you know, and short of going out and, you know, picking them off every day, um, you're more than likely you're going to have to spray something to control them. Um, so for our uh, pest management in the home landscape, you know, the two recommendations for Japanese beetles for um, on brambles um, are going to be carbaryl, which is going to be seven, um, and malathion. Any of those can be, you know, harmful to our pollinators. So, you know, if you're spraying anything, you want to spray that, you know, late in the evening um, or real early in the morning when, when our pollinators aren't going to be out and about. Try to reduce the chances of them getting sprayed um, while you're spraying. It's mm -hmm. probably going to be your best bet. And, and like, so those are brambles, the edibles. When folks are calling, they ask about roses and things like that. I say... Uh, you know, yeah, you can use the, you know, products containing the active ingredient carbaryl, but it would be ideal if you did it in that early morning, late evening, and also pick those flowers off, any open flowers, uh, just to kind of minimize any damage we can to pollinators is, you know, that's kind of our primary goal right now with pollinators being in the news quite a bit in their, some of their declining populations. And then when it comes to, you know, making sure they're safe to eat, um, that's going to be your pre-harvest interval. And, you know, whatever you spray, if there's any kind of pre-harvest interval, that's going to tell you on the label, you know, how long you have to pick, how long you have to wait before you can pick that fruit. So, you know, as always, just make sure you read the label. Exactly. Um, and it'll tell you how long you have to wait. Um, Janet from Knox County, uh, she sprayed her um, for Japanese beetles. Um, looks like she said she used an ortho product. And then she saw a baby skunk under the tree, and then she got concerned about the skunk eating the beetles, being harmed by it. She's also worried about birds and uh, eating the dead beetles. Uh, is there something else that she can spray uh, and, and not have these concerns? Um, I mean, there are some, you know, some of our chemicals are a little less toxic um, to mammals. I think pretty much all of the kind of our recommended ones are going to have some sort of toxicity to mammals. Um, so a lot of that's going to be, you know, your dose dose makes the poison so you know the more you eat the more chance you're going to have poisoning so i mean if they're eating 
beetle or two here or there, I wouldn't think that'd be too big of a problem. Um, but something like a metacloper, it has fairly low bird and mammalian toxicity. Um, that's going to be a systemic one, um, and that can take you know some time for that to be taken up by the plants. So a lot of times, if you're using something like a metacloper, you need to put that down in May in order for it to be taken up by the plants. Um, uh, some of the, or the ortho stuff, like ortho bug be gone, um, the active ingredients in that, I think those are kind of our moderate to low toxicity to mammals. Uh, I don't think there's anything out there that's really going to be, you know, 100% safe um, for mammals. You just kind of have to, you know, there's going to be some risk to whatever pesticide you use. Exactly, yeah. There's there's always going to be that risk there. And, and you said it right on the nail right there. The dose makes the poison. And so, you know, Read your labels. That, that's we can't stress that enough. Just read the labels, um, and if it does bother, it, if you know, Jan, if that does bother you, um, you know, to the point where you know maybe you just don't want to spray if you're just going to be uh, concerned over that that kind of any type of exposure you might be given to the wildlife nearby. So, yeah, but then you, then you get into you know, your hand picking um, or using some sort of a barrier, some kind of screen. Um, over the plants if you yeah. want to protect, still want to protect your plants and you don't want to spray. Okay, so next question. This comes from Facebook. Somebody asks, Japanese beetles, uh, once a, a tree is infested and the leaves have all been consumed, does that mean the tree has to be disposed of or will eventually die? What can they do for these large shade trees that are under attack? So most of our, you know, our mature, you know, well-established, healthy shade trees, you know, feeding my Japanese beetles isn't going to do any harm to them. You know, they're feeding later in the year, so you know, the trees have produced a lot of the energy they need for the year, so getting defoliated isn't going to be as big of a problem as to say, you know, Japanese beetle were to come out in April or May, you know, early in the year, mm-hmm. and if you start defoliating your trees and stuff, that's a bigger problem then than it is, you know, this time of year. Uh, so most, it's primarily an aesthetic problem. Uh, where it does become a concern is if you have a, a newly planted tree, something that's only two or three years old, uh, something, like that, something that hasn't been well established, or if you've got a stressed tree, um, you know, some other problems causing it, that's when you can start seeing um, damage. So, you know, just because, you know, you have a linden tree and it's, you know, been basically defoliated, um, by this time of year, you know, if it's healthy, it shouldn't cause any problems with the tree. It should come back fine um, next year. Great. And and also kind of a, a reminder of folks, if they do any of those soil drenches, I believe it's um, products that do ca- contain uh, imidacloprid, they are labeled not for use on lindens is that correct yep yeah because they're going to be blooming kind of the same time we've got our japanese beetles so if you put you know that imidacloprid in there that can be taken up potentially into the nectar or the pollen and then you know bees and stuff can pick that up so or you know our other shade trees you can use it on but linden is one you don't want to and again that can take a month or two to be taken up so you need to start putting that down you know may Mm-hmm. early May in order so the plant can take that up so you can get good um, protection. Yes, yes. Okay, so last question here is uh, Bill from Knox County. Uh, he says that the Japanese beetles are everywhere, and I can I can vouch for that. They're killing his crabapple trees, uh, turning the leaves brown, you know, his larger trees, they're going after them, filling a swimming pool. He says he's desperate for help. He wants to know about the bags. Um he hasn't been able to get them at the store, and I'm, I'm guessing he's referring to the Japanese beetle traps. He says whenever he goes to the store, they're always sold out. So uh, do you got any advice for anyone, uh, Bill specifically, looking for these Japanese beetle traps? 
it's probably not a good idea to use those Japanese beetle traps. Um, they're going to attract far more beetles um, than they're ever going to trap. Um, so the lures for those are usually going to be some kind of kind of floral scent that's going to attract the beetles, or it's going to be some kind of aggregation pheromone that's going to draw them in. Um, and I've seen pictures of re people replacing um, those little canisters on the bottom with 13-gallon trash bags, um, and you can fill a 13-gallon trash bag overnight. Mm -hmm. So you're going to attract far more beetles than you're ever going to catch. Um, and you know, as you're drawing them into those traps, you know, they may stop on a plant, decide I like this, um, and start eating, and they'll never make it to that trap. Yeah. So it's generally not a good idea. Those traps are probably going to cause you uh, more problems in the long run than they're going to solve. I, I heard the entomologist from Iowa State University equate Japanese beetle traps with trying to empty the ocean with a bucket. And that just made me smile because uh, <laughs> that's the truth. Uh, yep. you, you'll see these makeshift traps where they will put these big old five-gallon uh, drums on the bottom of them, and they'll just fill up overnight. And, you know, they've just been the places where they're they're located. Uh, all of the trees are decimated. Uh, so, yep, we don't recommend the use of Japanese beetle traps. Um, I got what, one other question, you know, uh, is there anything else we can do in terms of, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about controlling adults. What about in the grub stage uh, in terms of treating our lawns or any habitat modification, what we can do for our turf grass? So your, your grubs are going to be in your turf. They tend to like, you know, lawns that are irrigated. Um, you know, this time of year we're not don't always have um, the most moisture in the fall. So your irrigated lawns, you're going to have healthy, you know, actively growing turf. So you're going to have nice, you know, abundant root mass for them to feed on. So you tend to see them more in, you know, irrigated lawns, stuff like that. Um, for controlling them, you know, there are um, insecticides you can't put on your soil. Um, that will control uh, Japanese beetles and other um, white grubs. Um, you know, if you want to monitor, you know, monitor for that, um, you go out, um, just kind of cut a cut a hole that's eight by eight inches, um, three inches deep, and just kind of peel back that turf. Count the number of grubs underneath. Um, and anything more than um, ten grubs per square foot, um, you want to start spraying. So if you do that eight by eight inch um, square, you know you count your number, multiply by two point two five to get your square feet. If it's over ten, um, then you want to start thinking about. Um, applying um, some sort of treatment to that. Okay. I think okay. it's even as low as, you know, three to five grubs per square foot, you can start getting damage from animals, whether it be raccoons or stuff coming in and digging up your turf, trying to get them. 10 to 12 grubs is when you start to see dieback in turf, typically. So. Mm -hmm. so I guess the other thing that comes to mind is um, milky spore disease. It's this treat lawn treatment. Um, I've heard a lot about it for many years, but recently it seems like there's studies coming out of Kentucky and Ohio, I believe, um, showing that it's it's not as effective and they're not quite sure why it's not being as effective as it was in the past or if maybe it never really quite was uh, effective as it was touted. Have you heard any of the new any of the news surrounding milky spore or um, you know I, I know we're not necessarily recommending its use at the moment um but have you heard any any news from that um yeah pretty much what you said yeah it's just not working the way you know it used to or they thought it did so yeah it's kind of well it's kind of fallen out of favor it's not really recommended um anymore okay 
Okay. Well, very good. Well, well, hopefully we answered everybody's questions about Japanese beetles, but if you do have more, you can always contact your local extension office. Uh, you can find us on, you can find University of Illinois Extension on Facebook, on Twitter, um, Pinterest. Uh, we're, we're kind of all over the social media spectrum. Uh, contact uh, me, Chris Enroth, uh, in the McDonough County Extension office. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, thank you, Ken, for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. Have a great day.